76 proudly presents the 515 show with your host John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? Well, it's everything that we said he was and is. <clears throat> Pardon me. He was you know, um you couldn't touch Ford Racing without having his fingerprints on it for a little bit of time. And it's amazing how a guy defines a whole uh, racing genre within drag racing. It's amazing. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> you want to do the, the living legend thing? Sure, absolutely. That would fit our next guest, and it fits him very well. Brian Wolf will be with us just momentarily. Hi, Brian. Hey, John. I hear you. Good. <laughs> That's helpful. All right, good. Uh, tip of the hat to Nancy. You know, thank you for yep, the phone. Yep. Anyways, how does yeah, a phone break? <laughs> what happened was my phone died about a, 45 minutes ago. So I plugged it in, everything's good, and then there was, I hit, there must have been an update that I didn't, you know, that I, was, that I had not done yet. So, of course, it takes over and says, well, now that your phone's dead, we're going to force you to take this update. So oh, my man. phone just started working, and it was about, like, right when I, I just went in the house because I didn't have internet in the barn. <laughs> and, um to type you a note saying, hey, try this number. And uh, cause it was like, you know, five minutes before. And say, okay, I'm out of time. This thing ain't coming back. Uh, and then the panic goes, this one, this one, this one, this one. Which one? You know, the red wire, blue Maybe. wire, red wire, blue wire. Well, you got it. Yeah. Th- thank God you're here. Welcome to technology. I mean, you can put a thousand horsepower in a V8. And yet, you know, what's wrong with these phones? I think perhaps Willis should make their own phone. I don't think so. I don't think that would work out very well. <laughs> yeah, well, think of how much. Think what, what a Godzilla phone would sell like, man. It would probably sell pretty good. I yeah. Think you're probably right. But. Yeah. I mean, it'd be easy yeah. to dyno. It would be. <laughs> Give it to a 14 year old girl. Let him go. Let her go. Anyways. Yeah, earlier. You know, the funny thing is, with everything that you had uh, in your lifetime, and because we had some questions two weeks ago when we announced that you're going to be on, and and some people are still fascinated by a little sliver of your life in previous, um, of, of a job that people still find fascinating, and we said, look, we're going to dedicate about 60 seconds to it and no more, but... There, there is a lot of people want to know about um, your your position at uh, Baskin Robbins. <laughs> there can't be that many people that want to know about that. Well, you know, the folks were saying, you know, if you would have just stuck it out, you could have been assistant manager in about four years, and then, you know, who knows? You know, you could have been... been like, big things could have happened, yeah. <laughs> I gave up that too early. See, see if you would have just hung on there, you know. I mean, it, there was, you know, and then the one question was really kind of funny. Was like, did he ever learn how to do a banana split properly? Well, yeah, we did it all. <laughs> we, made, we made baked Alaska, banana splits, milkshakes. 
I mean, could you still yeah. do one, Brian? If if you had the ingredients in front of you, could you do a banana split? Oh yeah. Really? Banana split's easy. Oh yeah, banana split's easy. Baked Alaska, I might have to think about a little bit on the on the ingredients for the meringue. But you yeah, yeah. you could get baked Alaska at Baskin Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? It's like look. Well, again, it was the owner, right? This I don't think it was on the official Baskin Robbins um, menu, if you will. Right. But uh, you know, it was pretty easy. It was, you know, graham cracker crust, chocolate vanilla ice cream, uh, meringue. You know, bake the top with a with a propane torch. Dump <laughs> melt hot chocolate across it, and voila, done. Ta-da. So instead of putting in a dino and a couple of hoists and stuff, I mean, couldn't you put like a, a, a soda counter in your barn out back? It, it might it might be kind of some <laughs> days it'd be more fun, that's for sure. There are days. <laughs> yeah, all right. So things getting your hair being pulled out by now? I mean, I'm sure that yeah. everything that you're doing is got to be unique. How's it going? That's going good. I mean, uh, you know, the, the the new dyno was really just to give, you know, better capability of doing what I enjoy most, which is the development work. Right. So um, so right now we've got a, a bit of backlog of engines, and so I'm sending a lot of my builds to other, guy, other guys that have open capacity uh, just because I want to get the backlog cleared out and uh, kind of get my slate clean for... You know, developing some new products with, with some folks. I mean, how many engines, Brian, do you have on back order? I mean, you do have... Seven. Seven? Seven, yeah. seven in the hopper, yeah. Uh, that's a nice hopper to have, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, for, you know, like for someone like, you know, where you're a one-and-a-half-man shop, you know, then that's a, good, that's a reasonable number, you know. But, you know, the number could have been higher, but, you know, when I... When you talk to people, you know, it's all about expectations, right? Yeah. So you'd rather, you know, over, um, you know, deliver and under-promise. So we know I always tell people, you know, like, you know, even everything in the shop now, we're, I took in the time frame where I say, look, it's a 10 to 12-month build. There's other people wow. that can do it a lot quicker, and I could forward you to them if you prefer. So, you know, you, you get that um, up front, but a lot of the builds... Um, are real custom vehicles, so they have, the, and they're planning ahead. You know, they're, they're you know, they're, you know, SEMA cars, um, you know, one-off vehicles that, you know, somebody, you know, has been preparing for a long time to build. And uh, so the, you know, you know, they're, you know, the you weed out the people quickly that need it quickly, and you can get them in the right hands, and then you, um, you know, focus on the on the people that have the time. You know to uh to wait for you <laughs> yeah but that's unique i mean does anybody rail back and go a whole year brian um there are a few and you know some of the folks i sent to other you know uh people you know they say well you know they told me it'd be three months you know and it ended up being nine you know and <laughs> oops yeah because again you the other thing is you know you know the parts right it does you know you know the whole industry you had issues getting, you know, parts for quite a while. You know, the COVID mm-hmm. shut everything down and supply chains got really long. So, you know, even if you come to somebody with a custom build today, I mean, a true custom build, um, 
you know, pistons 12 weeks, you know, within that 12 weeks, you know, you can get the, the rods and the other parts, but then you got to start, you know, getting in line for machining against the other parts, the other customers that are in line. I don't, you know, I'm not like, you know, Chris Holbrook that has, you know, self-contained and doesn't really outsource it. I think Chris is vertically integrated, so he can adjust that. I rely on a guy named Dave Petit to do my machine work. And, you know, he's got multiple customers, so I get things in line with him, and I just got to, you know, prioritize what I have there and, um, you know, take it, at, you know, and, and you know, and, and that's a you know, process. Sometimes I'll be waiting, you know, eight weeks to get my stuff, you know, back from, from him. So he starts adding that up. That's five months just to get the parts and then get in line for build and then whatever may go wrong, you know, and that's why I'd rather say, even if I think it's going to be less than that, I want to say 10 to 12. That way, you know, you know you're going to meet within that time window. Well, Brian, how how are the chances of you becoming vertically integrated? Is that, yeah, no, that won't happen. Um, you know, you know, John, you know, working at Ford, having, you know, organizations where you have 13 to 2,100 people working for you and HR and all the things that you get into, you know, when I retired, it was, you know, again, to focus on, you know, keeping busy, doing what I enjoy and, uh, you know, I don't have a desire to, uh, um, you know, grow to a staff of, you know, eight people and multiple machines. You know, I'm, I want to, <laughs> you know, focus again <laughs> on the stuff that I like doing, which is, you know, the development work. And there's, you know, a couple companies that, you know, I've been um, working with that, you know, it's, it's a good um, match, right, where I can still do the development work, but I don't need, you know, the entire, you know, team. So, you know, my desire isn't to increase the number of engines I build a year. It's more to increase the products uh, that I'm, you know, that I'm contributing to bringing to market, you know, for, you know, more people than just me. Yeah, I mean, the, the last time that we talked, and perhaps I'm putting this a little bit for the horse, let's go this route. You know, if there's so many, there's, there's a huge demand, you know, for machine work. You know, I mean, is there enough guys to do machine work, or is no, it? No, you know, it, no, it's it's a it's a uh, you know it's a you know and you, you know be a good question for like when you talk to Chris next time or uh, you know other engine build another engine builder that is kind of vertically integrated. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of investment, um, a lot of training, and uh, you know, and you know, it's hard to find people with that. Um, ability, motivation, focus to run those machines in a manner that you need to get good results um, and, you know, just, just to find those people and keep them motivated. So, uh, you know, you it, and then, like, you know, Dave, he's a, a one-man shop as well, and he's about, you know, our age. So, you know, he, 35. You know he's not... <laughs> yeah, right, and there's not people coming <laughs> behind him, you know. So, uh yeah, so no, it, it is going to be uh, you know an issue going going forward. The bigger places, you know, that you know do crate engines, you know, that do you know probably have you know staffs of like you know fifty ish people. You know, that's a little different, a little different uh, product. <clears throat> when you're talking guys that are doing custom builds, um, you know, with a, a team of you know six uh, six to ten, you know, that's uh, um, 
there, there's not a lot a lot of out there like there was you know 25 years ago and I attribute that to you know two things one you know the micro dirty jobs training and vocational stuff yeah uh, isn't you know as popular the you know the schools don't have as much you know focus on the machine shop or, you know machine you know class like we had um, and then you know with the tool and die industry pattern making business all that stuff kind of going overseas you know the demand is diminished the reward that people see that they can get from that um, is diminished so uh, you know it's a kind of one of those negative spirals uh, for people with this you know with this skill set well you know Brian you hit something right on the head and it's something that we're finding too not only in drag racing but in other things as it's no secret I guess that Brian grew up less than a mile from us and there was on um, there used to be a stretch between 12 mile and 13 mile road in Warren on the cemetery side on, on our side all these little shops, all these little tool and die shops, you know, that maybe employed 5, 10, 15 guys, maybe 20, but they were all over the place. One of our good friends, the late, great P.E. Price, you know, him and his dad, I mean, they went from, you know, from shop to shop where you just, like, took your Kennedy box and went because there was so many opportunities out there to do tool and die, you know, to, to get the Bridgeport machines, to do all that. Yes, and nobody is is being learned uh, being learned being taught on this <laughs> and it, it's it's a phenomenal thing i think brian that we're seeing in in that and in drag racing it's it's spooky to a point where it's kind of like once the boomers are gone um and you're right the vacuum behind me that used to be like you know it was eugene and then it was phil and then that's where kind of it stopped but it was like here let me show you how this runs son and you don't have that, and especially with like engine building, you know, doing valves and stuff like that, you you don't see a whole lot of of um, technicians that can do that now, do you? No, no, yeah, there, you know, it's a smaller and smaller, you know, group, and um, you know, there's, you know, but that being said, you know, when we were, you know, in our early 20s mid 20s in 1995 you, know, you, you mean yeah yeah you hear people <laughs> say well that you know same thing it's dying right there's not as many people interested you used to go to yeah. you know uh in the you know for the big go um nationals and in f stock automatic there'd be 42 cars you know now there's only you know 128 cars in all the classes but um that being said there is there are young people coming into drag racing and enjoying it, but the um, I guess number of hobbyists, you know, um, I think is is where is, is what's gone down, um, you know, versus twenty years ago, and even more so versus fifty years ago, um, and you know, I, you know, people they're they're you know they grow up with other interests, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's true. I mean we've seen a whole lot of that, and you in when we go around from track to track, perhaps you do too, is that a lot of the drivers and a lot of teams, folks have a little bit of snow up on top. There's a little bit more gray hair than there's not anymore in running, but that's okay. I mean it's it's harder. 
You know, we used to have like this big discussion about the golden age of drag racing. You know, obviously, 50s, 60s, probably all the way up to 78. And then you brought it back, you know, with 5.0. And then, and that's, you know, as much as that's a bold statement, you know, we went around the pre-production meeting today and it goes, you know, that kind of fits. Because drag racing was taking it on the chin and then here comes 5.0 now, you know, with Norman, yourself, etc. But all of a sudden 5.0... Uh, magazines coming out and 5.0 classes coming out and that really held the fort until some of the bigger guns could come up yeah I, and again you know and thanks for that yeah you know it's great to be part of that right just to be you know um i always felt when you know we were in high school i was born 10 years too late you know because you know the <laughs> 60s but then you know the 80s I always, you know, thought there's a lot of analogies to the '60s because you know, I think the music was great, cars were were cool again. Yep. Um, and the, you know, and the thing that I think helps spur uh, it, that always gives a shot to racing is kind of the go fast, cheap, right? And you know, the five liter Mustang, you know, did that. Um, and then, you know when the LS came out in, you know, in Chevy, you know, for Chevrolet in the late 90s, you know, that was a really popular platform, and you got all the guys going to the junkyards and putting a Chinese turbo on it and, you know, throwing <laughs> in an old Fox body and going fast. And, but, but yeah. again, it's that same, you know, they could do it reasonably, you know, on, on a reasonable budget. You know, today, you know, you know, stuff's expensive, like, you know, the, the, help, the, the dot, you know, the, char- the Charger and Challenger which are selling very, very well. But, you know, they're, you know, a, a car that's, you know, probably those, a lot of people are paying like 80 or 90% of their annual income to buy that car. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're right there, 60 to sixty to $90,000. I mean, they're bad to the bone. But, um, you know, again, you know, that that's getting, you know, resurgence, you know, is helping as well. So, I mean, everything, you know, and then, you know, the Coyote, you know, and the Mustang where that came out, and that's, you know, proven to be an extremely strong, efficient platform as well. So, you know, lot, lots of, you know, little things going on. But, you know, in the, and the other thing, the performance um, goalposts have changed too. I mean, when you and I were young, again, back in... You know, 1995, back, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> or even 75 to, 75 to 95. I mean, remember what it took to have a... Well done. A, a nine-second car, a nine-second car. Right? I mean, it was like top fuel. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was uh, unobtainable for us, yeah. right? Yeah. But here, uh, one of the guys that um, I worked with at Ford, he's a younger guy. So again, younger guy in his late twenties, um, and he's got his high school car. It was an old Fox Body Thunderbird. He had an LS in it with a turbo. It didn't go well. He's an engineer. He's a smart guy, but that didn't work out well. And he's got a stock. Godzilla in it now. I say, well, it's not stock. Yes, stock short block Godzilla with a slight porting on the cylinder head, stock head casting, stock valves, and a camshaft. And he's gone nine eight uh, 990s with the car. So, I mean, this is a car you drive anywhere. I mean, it's a hydraulic roller, you know, and it's like, it just blows my mind. Um, and there's a, a couple other guys, a guy named Mike Dez that's out in Maryland that has the Fox Body Mustang with just that same cam in it, and he's gone, you know, again, it's nice being out there at sea level, 
either 980s or 990s with that. And I mean, these are very docile engines, but you know, they make, you know, with that cam in it and with the heads, you know, 550 to 610 horsepower, um, super reliably. So that's another thing that I think is going to help, um, you know, push it along and help the younger guys come in to keep it at something that they can afford to participate in and still, you know, put a big smile on their face, you know, because the thing's, you know, fast and acceleration and the excitement you get from that is what uh, is what makes you uh, want to keep doing it. Yeah, you know, and the other thing, too, if, when you go back, you know, we were talking to Dave Radcliffe from, from Roseville Moparts, you know, and he was saying basically the same thing. It's like, look, come on in and get yourself a crate motor, get yourself a 1,000-horsepower uh, turnkey with warranty. <laughs> We're going, yeah, and the original Street Hemi was 425 horsepower, and I'm doing the Air Bunny quotes, you know, so now you have, mm-hmm. like, double that, and because, really, to get anywhere near, like, a 13, a 13-second car, back in the day, was like, oh, my God, what mm-hmm. nitro are you running, you know? And then, yeah. but the weird thing is too, Brian, that if you're like say a Chrysler enthusiast or whatever, you can get a crate motor. But you know, back in the '60s and '70s and whatever, you could shoehorn an engine and kind of just about anything. You know, and especially in the Mopar side of town, you just change out the K frame and there you go, put in a different block. But now, I mean, if you if you're a Chrysler guy, I'm trying to think how Ford would. Well, no, Ford, you'd still be able to do it. There is no if you bought a crate motor, you know, a elephant motor. There isn't anything besides a Challenger or a 300. You know, you would have to go way back, you know, to get a car that was kind of cool to dump this V8 into because of all the front-wheel drive stuff. There's something for those folks. And I'm trying to think with the GM side if they have any front and any V8 rear rear wheel cars. You know, you know, and that's you know, sad thing is that the latest iteration of Camaro, while maybe uh, you know, statistically, and the engineers and the management team when they sold it, you know, could be a much better car. But you know, the sales have really plummeted, and I think that you know, it's been announced that they're not going to make it after 2024, right? Yeah, uh, just because I mean, the sales are, I mean, like I think for every 10. Chargers and Challengers they sell, they sell one Camaro. You know, I mean, it just, it didn't work out well. But, you know, that being said, um, whether it's, you know, let's go back to the Chrysler's. I've got a friend that works at a, at, uh, at a Ford dealer that's a big Mopar guy. And he said, you know, you can buy these old Chargers and Challengers with the yeah. V6s in them for like three grand. And he said, they're nice cars, but it's just that they have no value on the market. So he's gone <laughs> and, he's, and he's put... A 440 in it, an old 440 <laughs> V8, yeah. And all, and the and the dash works, all the accessories work, and so they got guys that you know. Let's you know if you wanted to buy a '69 Charger, I mean you're 8,500 bucks for an empty shell, right? I mean, yeah. They're just super super expensive. But yet, if you say, hey man, I always wanted a big block Challenger, I mean you can do it in a different way. I really think that that body style, I mean, you know, it, it's really done well, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's the, I think, you know, Dodge is, you know, printing money because, I mean, they haven't changed the body tooling you know, for <laughs> I don't know how many years, but it, 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 it fits the what? bill, right? People are buying it, the powertrains are good, and then, 
if you bought one with a V6 and it's got 100,000 miles on it, someone can renovate it and put these elephants in it and, you know, go fast, you know? See, Chrysler... So there, there, there's, there's always a way. Chrysler is cool about not getting involved with body shaming. You know, if you like the 2006, you'll love the 2023. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. Yeah, I, I think that's a good lesson because... Uh, I know when I was at Ford, one of the things you always said is every time we do a freshening, you know, we see a little spike in sales. But you know, if you if you, I looked at the at the uh, sales a couple months back, and if I read it correctly, both the Charger and the Challenger independently, each of those item name brand and plate outsell the Mustang, and then you know, and then they all significantly outsell the Camaro today in today's market so uh you know it goes to what you said is that you know there's more to it than just external styling obviously it's you know the whole package <laughs> and what they're putting in it that are keeping people uh you know motivated to buy it and you know tesla look you know tesla i mean they haven't changed that you know <laughs> at all out, right at, at all, all. I mean, at all but yet you know i think they're selling over half a million a year now so yeah so. but you know how would you do because i remember one time that we discussed and for folks who don't know, and we talked about this off-air a couple of weeks ago, that Brian here is not only our first 515 guest we ever had, but he is the most reoccurring guy we ever had because he's one of the most interesting, and you write into us and tell us, when is he going to ask us, when is he going to come back on? It's for opinions that he's you know, giving us like today. And, and something that you said almost on the first show, because we said, you know, how could... You know, especially when you were in Ford and you were in the position to kind of, you know, you had the nice office with the nice view, you know, to why didn't you make, you know, more Cyclones and why didn't you make more Marauders if you want to go in the Mercury side? You know, why didn't you get all the high performance stuff? And you said, well, <laughs> try to get that through a business plan. I mean, you could, you know, but you'd have to really go crazy to, to get that done. It was, you know, just try to get Godzilla to get through as a, a truck motor. But, you know, you kind of take a look at Dodge. It's like, how the hell are they getting this through as a business plan? It's like, yeah, I know last year we said that was it for 707 horsepower, but we need 840 this year. Yeah, we know we said 840 last year, but this year we need 922. You know, I mean, does <laughs> does Dodge care anymore? Yeah, I know. I think, well, they're, they're, I, I think because... I think, you know, I, I give a lot to Sergio, right, and you let him rest in peace, but he was, yeah, I think he had a super strong handle on the business. Um, you know, maybe him and, you know, Malelli would probably be at you know, similar levels, but he might have even been more hungry than Alan. And I remember, I think I may have mentioned this before, I remember watching an interview with him when he was just that, you know, Part you know, with Chrysler as part of him or whatever, yeah. You know, when <laughs> for a short term, and he said the words, "I salivate over the profits of trucks." That was his words, <laughs> and it just stuck to me because look at. But this was when Dodge trucks weren't selling great. You know, they really were. I mean, this was you know years ago. Yeah, and they put an enormous amount. He goes, "That's where I can make money," and they made really a lot of investment engineering, a lot of product upgrades to say, you know, we are going to take a much bigger chunk of this market. And I think that that same thing, you know, again, with the, um, 
with the cha- with the charger challenge or uh, body, you know, if they're putting the money only into the engine, and you know, I'm not doing new sheet metal, I'm not worried about the crash testing, you know, because when you do an all new platform like the Mustang, you know, the 650 that's coming out, yeah. I mean, that's billions and billions of dollars, right? You get all that done, but they're focusing on what they believe is what what's important to the customer in that segment. And that's how, again, you know, how they were able to, you know, in my humble opinion, uh, you know, keep that going. Um, and, you know, is the car going to go around corners like a Mustang in a Camaro? No. You know, but is it going to go really fast straight? And is it going to be safe? Is it going to stop? Yes. Are they going to sell it in around the world? No. But it may be a black market over there. You know, but again, it just it, it's a it's a desirable car in the area where they want it, and they're focused on one thing, which is, you know, just going really fast. Yeah, it's like, um, go straight. It's an old Fox body. You know, same as it's Fox body was, right? I mean, it wasn't, you know, necessarily a great road car. Yeah, but could you, I mean, I'm trying to think of the Fox bodies, especially in, in the red Fox body era of yours. I mean, if you were going to just, you know, a Ford dealer, I mean, did every year they go up higher and higher on horsepower? I'm trying to remember how that went. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. In 1982, Jim Clark, um, I give him the credit because uh, he was a manager at Ford. The Mustang sales weren't going well after the launch in '79, and he was the one that you know kind of went to the executive and said, "Let me put the five liter back in it." And you know, I won't go through. I could talk for hours on that. I won't, but. That was the 82 Mustang, 150 horsepower, two barrel. And, and, <laughs> and that was an 82. In 83, I think they put um, a four barrel on it and it went to 165. Then they put the five speed in it the next year. Then they put uh, in 85 was the last year of the four barrel. It was like 200 horsepower. Then they put in 86, they put it was fuel injected. That was 210, and then they did an 87. They went to 220 horsepower. And then Jim moved jobs, and it never went up in price again. And again, why was that? Jim was just super passionate about an improvement every year. So every year from 82 to 87, there was a improvement in the powertrain. And then Jim was moved to advanced powertrain to work on the modulars and bring those into production, which came out in 91. But uh, Jim was, uh, you know, the driving, uh, you know, force behind that. And, uh, again, you know, kind of like you mentioned on Chrysler, you know, he was focused on one thing. And he had accountability. And at Ford today, this goes across, like, I think, three or four vice presidents. Jim is a reasonably lower-level manager at accountability for the base engine, the components of the engine, the dynamometer development of the engine, the calibration certification. So all these guys worked on his little team. So every year he would go in and, you know, after the launch and said, well, you know, I got something I want to do for next year. And he'd say, oh, no, you can't do it. How are you going to emission? How are you going to get it to emissions? How are you going to get the horsepower? And he had, he already had the work done. Here's the data. Here's the certification. Uh, well, what, you know, how's it going to drive? Here's the keys that he'd like to go out and drive one. You know, and that's, yeah, I mean, so they couldn't say no. I mean, you know, wow. he was just, he would just he was that good and uh yeah that was it just super you know there, there's i don't know, i haven't met that 
at a level where he was at at that point in time, you know, there I haven't met anybody at Ford that or anywhere that you know had that drive and and you know just to show you his tenacity when they sure. put the eighty two when that came out, I won't go to a long story, but this is kind of funny. It's your time, so, man. Go as long as you want, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> so he, uh, so in eighty, so the, so the, so supposedly you just can put the five liter back in at the one they took out in seventy nine, which was one hundred and thirty nine horsepower. Wow! And so he told his guys, he goes, "Well, we can put, we can do anything. We can put anything in it as long as it's been in production somewhere else first, so we don't have to worry about the DV." So you know, so they called it an HO going from one thirty nine to one fifty horsepower. So. The chief engineer, who is like one level below vice president, you know, um, calls him into the office, and like this was a nine-month program, you know. And normally these programs are three years, right? So this is nine months. He calls me, and goes, Clark, I hear you're doing a, you know, not only putting this phone in, you're doing an HO variant. He goes, Yes, sir, that's what we're doing. He goes, Listen, he goes, I don't agree with it. He goes, If the, you know, your ass is on the line at this fails, you know, I want you to just stop all that shit and just put the motor in that we said we were going to put in. Yes, sir, we're going to do that. So he goes back to his team. Oh, what did the boss say? What did the boss say? He goes, he said, he loves this idea. <laughs> he is so excited. We've got to deliver this. You know? <laughs> and that's what he did. You know? So, I mean, he, he had no fear of his job, of anything else. He just was driven to do what he thought was right. So I mean, is he like a hidden hero, Brian? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a definitely a hidden hero. I mean, is he still with us? He is. He's uh, he is in Florida. I think he's in a little rough health right now. Huh. Um, but yeah, he's in the he he you know has a place uh, up north Michigan and then a place in uh, in the villages. Because man, talk about a guy that you'd like to talk to. Who we? I mean, that's some brass, yeah. man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, especially yep, yep. if you've you got to go back to your wife and go, well, honey, we might not be able to afford the house if we, if we don't deliver. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he was, you know, obviously, you know, real confident. And, you know, he just, and I, mean, I think he felt, well, if something happens here, I can go anywhere. Yeah, especially then, you know, and now that now things are popping up on the uh, CKWI Radio 76 hotline. Questions for Brian Wolf that are coming in unsolicited, but uh, they come in anyways, which is kind of interesting. We'll read about those. And, and then one of these are, are, it's as much as we were talking, I'll paraphrase, as much as we were talking about the Camaro. Did you actually drive one? A uh, Camaro? Yeah. I have no, I have not. I just I know when I was there and they were coming out and we're doing the benchmarking, um, you know, that they were you know, the handling, the size, you know, pe- we were, you know, leaning towards something more similar to that than what the six fifty was. But the people that I knew that had them, the comment I always got was, um, they felt very claustrophobic in it. Yep. Fact, one of the guys that the one of the guys that was going to buy one of my cars, he raced one. He said, "Man, I'm kind of a big dude." And he goes, "If something happened, I couldn't like, they couldn't pull me out through a window. I, you know, if the door doesn't doesn't get open, if the car's on fire, I mean, that was his concern. It was just very kind of a claustrophobic feel, which I think um, might be one of the things you know contributing to the uh, in the real high belt line. You know, so visibility is is tough. Um, ding, you know, ding, contributing ding, ding, ding. to you know sales." 
Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. They let us drive them because at the time we are doing the side curtain airbags, and I think we had the DAB PABs at the time, and and you sat in it, and you couldn't see over the hood. like It was like one of those Bill Blass edition Lincolns. You know, back in the day yeah. that you couldn't see past the, you know, the, the little uh, top frame on that. I mean, it was a horrible, in our opinion, it was a horrible viewing vehicle. You're right. I mean, they brought the belt line up real high. I don't know if they looked at the original Chrysler 300 and thought this was cool, but it didn't do much. I mean, even the V6s didn't do, and there was supposed to be some kind of... You know, at the time, 300 and some horse, and people went, 300 horse out of a V6, whoa! It, it just didn't do anything, and instead of reacting, it seems like GM said, well, we're committed to this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and, you know, I mean, anybody that's been, you know, in a big company and seen some bad decisions made, <laughs> um, and, you know, like myself, I mean, you, you see how that can happen. I mean, it's it's uh, nothing you're proud of after the fact, um, but sometimes it's hard to turn the ship. But here's another one, yeah. Jim Clark. Sure. Okay, well, same 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 here. All right. Yeah. So, way back in the day, uh, this would have been in the '70s. They were going to do a three by six. Remember that because he was a department manager for the inline six cylinder um, before the five liters, yeah. and so he was selling a program that was. Deactivate three cylinders. Oh no! And yeah, so this <laughs> oh, no. program oh, oh. this made it all the way up to like near production. I don't know if it was like <sighs> six months away from starting production or closer. But one of the technicians uh, that worked for him said, "Jim, you've got to come out and drive this thing. It's it's, it's we we can't sell it." <laughs> so you know, Oops. so here you got this technician who's kind of a you know lower you know yeah pay grade but still super important i don't want to diminish it but you know technician that you know did wasn't afraid to go to the department manager see i drive so jim drove the car and what happened is when it was going between three and six cylinders it was like at a highway speed and load and it would just have like a surge (gasps) so he had to go to you know the vice presidents and said i can't sell the i can't sell this it's not going to work it's going to be a disaster and he had the guts Again, he sold the program. He was supposed to deliver the program. He knew it was going to be bad, and he cut it. Yike, because didn't you tell me at one time when you were, you know, again with the nice window office and stuff, that there would, these meetings would be periodical, periodic, and you would have to, like, show up, and they would say, okay, Brian, what you got for us today, and it better be good. <laughs> well, not not they're they're a little bit more structured than that, but typically, you know, you'd go in for the program reviews, yeah, and you would, you know, you know, you know, you you know, be providing status, and then you say, here are the issues, you know, and either we're red, meaning we've got the problem, we don't know how to fix it, or yellow, meaning we've got a problem, a bump in the road, but we have a plan to get it back on track, or green, meaning that deliverable is on track, not, not a problem. And of course, you'd always focus on, on, on the, on the reds, the things oh. that you might need help with, because uh, the stuff that, you know, was supposedly good, um, you, you know, you didn't really, you, you know, <laughs> you don't want, you, know, you don't talk about the good stuff, you only talk about the stuff you're in trouble with, right? So, yeah. um, and then you, and then you, you know, you know, 
you know, work through those things. But um, So what would they tell that, you, Brian? I mean, would they say, look, you got a couple of reds here, go out and hire 1,000 new uh, engineers to help you? Or do they slam their no. fists on the table and go, damn it, you're costing us money, Wolf? No, typically, um, most of the, you know, the thing is, is that you learn, I, you know, I didn't make this quote up. I got it from a, uh, a lady that I worked with named Robin Wright. Is bad news is only worse news later. So, um, in other words, you know, you, you, you know, the best thing to do is go through with full disclosure. And, you know, typically what happened, you know, when you had the reds and you didn't have an answer, say, well, you know, you go get a plan together and come back in a week and let us know what help you might need or whatever. Where, where people would come unglued is when hit, issues were hidden until it was too late to recover from them. In other words, you'd call it yellow, but it really wasn't yellow, or you'd call it green, but it really wasn't green, and then all of a sudden you go in and you're four months behind. Well, you weren't four months behind like two weeks ago. How do you get four months behind in two weeks? You know, that, that, that's, you know that, that's where the, you know, where the trouble began. <laughs> I mean, did you ever, like, just having to take a vacation day on the one where you know you had a lot of reds? <laughs> no, no. I'd like to show up, no. but eh, I'm up north. <laughs> no, 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 not not that I recall, anyways. <laughs> Good man, you, because I mean that's got to be intimidating. How many people are on the board that you had to make the presentation to? Well, typically, you know, I, not, not very many times did you go to the board of directors. That was for big program approvals. This would be normally, you know, vice president reviews things, you know, and above vice president group, vice president reviews. But you know, I was a director at Port from. 2002 to 2017 when I retired. So, you know, a lot of it were the guys I was doing. I was the guy sitting at the table asking the questions, and, <laughs> and the information was being presented. And uh, you always had to remember to, uh, you know, you can't be upset when people bring bad news to you. Um, but I could, but I would get upset if bad news was hidden because. You know, it, it, again, it's only worse news later, and it gives you less time to recover. I mean, Brian, did you, of all the time that you had to be like that person, could you smell, I mean, could you sense there's something fishy here? <laughs> I may not be getting the full story here. There, Yeah, there there would be. <laughs> there, there's times where you might, and then, you know, you typically what you do is you walk around the floor, and some of the people that you know that... <laughs> You know, work for the the person or worked in the area. You say, how are things going? And you know, guys, you know, you just you try to maybe do a little reconnaissance of your own. You know, yeah, just in case you thought maybe I didn't get the full story the first time around. I mean, you got to be scared when you're you're talking to a director and you got nothing but reds, and it's like you got a couple. You're past DV now. You know, you're in PV and things aren't working. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, it, you know, and, and those and those happen all the time, and that's why you know those jobs. And like I said, well, I don't want to expand here. I mean, that's why we know those director jobs because you've got so many programs, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they're you know during the week it's twelve to fourteen hours a day, and six to eight hours on Saturday and Sunday. You know, because again, you're you're having phone calls on all these programs with issues. You know, and they're and they're staggered on when you call in to, or when people are calling into you on. You know where they're at, what help they might need, and you know, did we pass the test? Do we need more help? Do we got to call the supplier? Uh, you know, what what do we need to get done to you know to, to try to recover this? And I mean, you know, some and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate as it is sometimes. 
you know, it, it doesn't happen, and a, and a program has to, uh, you know, misses its, you know, scheduled start of production date. And that's on you. It's, it's, it's definitely no fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we, we kind of know those stories and, and the meetings and the, I mean, from the supplier side on up. Yikes, it gets a little prickly because a lot of it is why not? And that's all you hear. <laughs> why yeah. not? Why aren't you having this on time? How come we're putting this on a delay? You know, how come you guys aren't working 24-7 on this? Because, man, scheduling is tight. I don't think people understand, you know, outside of the industry that when they say, look, you're a little, you're a week behind, a month behind or something. It's like, yeah, okay, so you can catch up. No, no, not in the automotive world. That doesn't go that way. You know, pray God you're not behind whatsoever. Yeah, but but you know, as, as you you know mentioned, a lot of times you are, and there are programs behind, and you know, you, and then again, as always, what's the plan to you know get back on track, or you know, because that's always the question, right? What do we need to do to get back on track? You know, how can we get help? Can we get resources somewhere else? Can we do the work elsewhere? Can we, you know, insource some of it to help the supplier? And you know, those are some of the things that, you know you do is you know it. It's not a. There's a lot of moving fault, parts. It? Yeah. The question is, yeah. The question is how are you going to try to recover it? Yeah, we'll talk about the other parts later. Now we just need a solution. You know, and solution goes this way. And back to the Godzilla thing, and back to Willis. You know, there was a question, and I thought it was kind of an interesting one. Would you ever get to the point, Brian, where you would sell a Wolfie edition? I mean, here's a car. Here's a, you know, the the motor in it. Here's a Godzilla. My own design. It's kind of like a saline, except for it says Wolfie on the side. No, I don't think so. No, that wouldn't be. No, no. So it, I heard. Yeah, just, I heard a maybe yes. I heard a yellow. No, <laughs> no, no. That's, it's a pretty green no. <laughs> okay. You know, because again, you know, the the dedic, the you know, what, what to to do that and do it right, um, just you know, isn't in the cards. You know, I want to again, I want to ramp down on that and ramp up on this development, and also ramp up on maybe a little bit of, of real retirement. So, well, you know, what so retirement? More in the, yeah, so yeah, see, I'd sooner be fully retired than I, there'd sooner be a wolfy edition of uh, of. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but look, think about the paint job that Nance could lay down on a couple of these. She could do that. Yeah, yeah see how that all works? Yeah, yeah but I mean, <laughs> it's just, a, it was, I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah, could you be the new Carol Shelby? Could you be the new Celine, you know? I mean, have the no, Wolf I edition. Not even, not even, I'm not even the same uh, universe as those guys. <laughs> yeah, according to you, everybody else, uh, no. I mean, I, I should say yes. Now it all right. So now, last we talked to about the uh, about the Godzilla stuff that that you were at your place. You were thinking about keeping parts that people could buy parts right from you for the Godzilla and stuff. And I know that it's been an ongoing thing about developing new parts and more parts and different style of parts for the Godzilla. How's that all going? Uh, that's going. It's, it's going well. Uh, you know. You know. Again, we try to keep a stock of cams, pistons connecting rods, uh, those type of things, and um, intake manifolds. Uh, so um, we, I probably 
still in behind. And that's why I want to clear out the backlog of these engines because uh, I need probably to tidy up the website so I can really put together, you know, as I think I mentioned maybe back then was you know, kind of like the old total performance in the 60s where yeah. you know, here's the impressor kit and the intimidator and the dominator type, you know, uh, upgrade that you can do to your Godzilla. Here's the parts list. Here's the price. Here's the time. Here's the how they performed on the dyno. You know. Yeah, I mean, would people be able to get Godzilla parts from you, Brian, as opposed to like having to find them at? I mean, that you couldn't go to Summit and get. I mean, that you would have, you know, like the lock on certain parts that you'd be the exclusive. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. The exclusive yeah. distributor of these parts. Yeah, you know, um, it go it goes back to, you know, just. You know, just the shipping and receiving area to to be to do that and do it efficiently. Yeah, probably not. You know, um, again, there's some. You know, there are some people that, you know, obviously they know what they want and they are already kind of put the combination together in their heads. They're going to shop, you know, to get the best price they can on it, and then you know it's going to be probably from the biggest distributor, and that that's fine. And there's other people that want help defining what that combination can be. And when they call and ask a question, they can talk to me, you know, or someone <laughs> that knows what they're doing uh, about that and uh, and help them that way. And, again, um, you're not going to get the best price, but you're probably going to get the best customer service because, um, you know, you, if, if they're running into issues, they got someone that knows the engine inside and out that can help them. And also that knows what the parts have perform like. Uh, you know, on a test, on an engine dyno. Wait a minute, Brian. If people call up and they got questions about their Godzilla, you answer the phone? I do. You do? I do. Wow. Even somewhat retired and looking to make your own Wolf 1 Mustang? Okay. <laughs> yeah, there'll be no Wolf 1 Mustang, but... Uh, um, we'll get it sooner or later, yeah, doggone you know, it. it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously... You know, the people that are, you know, they're, they're, there's folks that are calling, you know, that call, and, you know, they're just, you know, trying to, like you said, you know, remember you asked, like, if you're in a meeting and you can kind of sense you're not getting the full story. Yeah. There's, you know, people that call, and you know they just want to call, get a, get a list of parts, and say thank you very much, and, you know, they're just going to go and, you know, get them, you know, buy that list of parts on the Internet where they can get them the cheapest, in which case I give super vague answers and I'm not <laughs> very specific. And then there's other people that call that, you know, are, are, are you know, that you can tell are sincere and, you know, then those will be one you'll talk to in a bit more depth on, you know, what's going to work, you know, for them and, um, you know, and, and what, you know, how the combination is. And, it, you know, and, and that's, you know, there, there's fun in helping people, you know, even, um, you know, Cletus, you know, McFarland big YouTube star, yeah, and he just recently did a Godzilla and a Mustang, and Texas Speed is a company, and he's a super cool guy, um, I really didn't know him very well, I didn't know him at all, until he did the Godzilla stuff, and he's, he's a super loyal guy, like Texas Speed is his go-to, you know, performance parts, because he was doing a lot of LS stuff before, um, before the Godzilla, and he does, you know, keep his YouTube 3 million subscribers happy, um, you know, he dabbles in different things. But he did have a few questions and needed a couple, help with a couple of things. And, um, you know, I sent him some parts. And, you know, he was, you know, I mean, he was hounding me. How do I get you paid for this? 
Um, how do I get you, you know, paid because, for this? How do I get How do I get you paid? Because he, because he, like one thing, he, I think he needed an oil pan. They need something, and I said, yeah, I'll ship it to you. And if you want to use it, you know, cool. If not, just you know, ship it back to me. You know, you know, you know of course, you use it. But he was he like before I could take the time because again, when you're kind of doing everything from cleaning the toilets, building the engines, and running the <laughs> dyno, sometimes you don't have time to you know you know to put things together. So I mean, he probably asked me like you know three times on. Um, Hey, I need to get you paid, you know, type of thing. And Neil sending me texts on that. So, you know, which, you know, for a guy that 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 you, you know is that big and probably gets some stuff on a pretty good deal, you know, just making sure he was holding his integrity, um, you know, I thought was pretty cool. Wow, because it's normally just the opposite of that. It's like, oh, yeah. uh, send me an invoice. Oh, I didn't get your email. Oh, <laughs> exactly. That, and that's and that's why I mentioned it. And then you know, he did have a problem where he uh, he spun a bearing, and um, you know, he needed you know, uh, pistons, uh, rings, bearings, crankshaft, you know, whole lower end. So you know, as luck would have it, I had all that stuff on the shelf. So he called me. Uh, uh, I think on a Tuesday. And you know, I I had the parts on the shelf. Went to this Jim Petit, had him get it balanced for me right away. I did uh, the bearing fit and the rods. And from all the engines I've done, I said, look, I if we can't gauge your block, this will work. It won't be, you know, from you know my you know from the statistics I had on others. I said it may be a little tighter or a little bit looser than I normally do, but it's going to be okay for the main bearings. I sent him all that stuff, and they got you know they put the motor together, and you know he thanked me on his YouTube video when they got it back together. So that was cool. But uh, yeah, I mean he's a uh, you know I think a really honest, uh, appreciative uh, you know person. A real stand-up guy. How do you find those? Sometimes I mean in drag <laughs> racing, there's more often than not fairly nice folks, but not at that level. That's amazing, man. What a great story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, you always want to talk about the, the, uh, the, the good people that you meet and, uh, and give uh, credit where credit's due for sure. Talking about credit where credit's due, we noticed that there's a lot of people doing developmental things on your coyotes. What's the new, uh, coyotes, good help, on your Godzilla, I mean, I'm already thinking tomorrow. Um, what do you got coming up new? What are you, what's like, wow, this is kind of cool? Um, you know, things that we're doing like, Within the shop right yeah. now, we're, we updated our test vehicle um, because we were going to try to run that car in a specific class, and we're supposed to get crankshafts from the supplier, you know, last October, then it was November, last then it October. was PRI, and then, you know, then it went like, you know, then they ghosted me, and I couldn't get an answer, <gasps> so I just, you know, I sent them a, I just sent them a note, so look. I don't need crankshafts to this year. I got to do something, you know, to keep this going. So we ended up uh, putting a bigger pro charger on us. We went from a 94 millimeter to 106 millimeters. <coughs> and, uh, and Dave Zimmerman did the, uh, the plumbing for it. And I had a couple of changes made to the transmission and um, prayer from high voltage wiring. It's wiring on it for me. Got the car back last week. So as soon as I get a little bit of time between some of the customer commitments, I got to get that ready to go. Cause we're going to try to get that to go, uh, do a six second quarter mile um with a stock block stock crank stock cylinder head castings uh godzilla with a vt you know with btr cast intake so 
a volume, low cost, you know, intake manifold, and um, you know, hopefully that will work out. So uh, I'm going to try to get that thing together in the next couple weeks. Quarter mile. I mean, you know, that's only been done with a stock 340, right? Right. Yeah, with <laughs> two barrel. Oh, two barrel is the upgrade. <laughs> right. But Holy uh, we, we think jump, we can do Wolf. it based. Yeah, Whew. because we went, you know, four sixties with into the eighth mile uh, with the ninety-four millimeter uh, Pro Charger. And yeah, so if you, with the 106 and taking some weight out of the car, I mean, it's not a done deal. It's not a, you know, shoe-in, but it's in the realm of possibility. So if we can do that, I think that it would, you know, again, speak uh, very well for the capability of the platform. What a calling card that would be, Brian. Holy jump, you know? I mean, here, let me tell you something you yeah. don't know. But, you know, if, if you could do it, if you, I mean, here, God, Brian, does it feel like the beginning of 5.0 all over again? Pioneering oh, here absolutely. and there? Wow. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. So that, and that's, that's the fun part of, you know, of, of, you know, what the day-to-day is like. You know, what can we do to put more spotlight on, you know, the capability of the platform? Yeah, because really... A six-second, how radical, I mean, how many horsepower is a six-second Godzilla motor have it'd to be? be? It'd be somewhere about eighteen to 1,900. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> on gas? That'd be on methanol. Yeah. 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 I, I'm thinking turnkey and maybe that you could sell this to dealerships? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 1,800 no. horsepower, Brian. Nice. Yep. And the cool thing is there's a couple of folks that I work with, you know, customers of parts um, that will be, you know, they may get there first, which is fine with me, you know, because, again, I always said the, the, to me the tale of a good, you know, engine shop or engine builder is when the customers are faster than the guy building the engine. That says they're not holding anything back. They're giving you the best parts, and you put a better combination together, featuring transmission, torque converter, chassis, et cetera, and, and, uh, you know, basically your calling card for you. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be some really fast Godzillas this year. God, but what, I mean, who's running Godzillas this year that you know of off the top of your uh, head? Well, there's uh, uh, myself, um, yeah. uh, Des Racing, um, and, you know, obviously Cletus. He's gone 750 with his already. And uh, that's the hydraulic roller. Um and a couple of the other customers I can't name because they don't want people to know what they're doing until they come out. Oh, okay. No, I mean, folks that are actually running. I mean, you will be driving this car, right? This 1,800-horsepower car? Yeah. Whew. And we're only going to, and again, you know, at, at my age. <laughs> 25. There's people a lot, yeah, there's people a lot older than me going a lot faster. But um, I kind of like the eighth mile where I got all the extra distance to stop and that. So, uh, you know, we'll. You know, if we if we are if we are successful in the goal, we'll do it a few times, and then go back to our you know eighth mile uh, uh, racing. Where are you going to? You know, t- again, it's 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 a it's a stock bodied Mustang. You know, it's got stock firewalls, stock floor pans, um, and uh, you know we don't you know to go you know it have to go about two hundred miles an hour uh, in the quarter mile to to run six. It's, you know, one ninety five to two hundred 
two in that range. Well, God uh, love you that you'd be doing a quarter mile. I mean, people seem to to give up sometimes on the thirteen twenty, which we just love. But I mean, where would you test this car out for a quarter mile? Well, oh, there's a lot of tracks that you can, where we can do it at. Uh, the open, um, you know, I think I've been real boisterous with this. Um, again, credit where credits due. You know, uh, Jason Lee and Patrick Barnhill you know, tune the car uh, for me. So pretty much I'm doing stuff like this when my, when the car is ready or like right now it's very close to ready. You know, I'll be talking and say, when are you, when will, where will you be when where I can actually, you know, t- you know, get the car dialed in right, yeah. and, you know, try to run this. So to be at an event where, you know, either Jason and or Patrick uh, will be able to, you know, attend. I mean, so it could be, it could be NMRA Norwalk if they could be there. It could be somewhere you know before then, like at a US 131 and test session. Um, it just depends. You know, I, I rely on. Um, you know, they're so good and so valuable to making everything work. You know, I, I wouldn't, I, I won't go unless you know <laughs> unless PTP is uh, in the house, as they say. Wow. Wow. I mean, are you looking forward to this, or are you going, well, that's kind of on the back burner? I mean... Oh, no, I'm super looking forward to it. Just, again, just a couple customer commitments. Because, you know, the car is all, now it's all on me to get the car prepped. It's got, I need probably, you know, 16 to 24 hours of work on the car just to get all the fluids in it, get everything, you know, verify that all the electronics are working correctly, and you know, it just it takes time, more time than you think, and then because we are taking weight out of the car, get it. You know, we have to rescale it. Uh, probably have to readjust ride heights and then centers. And who you know, Dave Zimmerman from Team Z will be you know helping me with all that. But again, it just you know, and that's why it's about time I get hold of Patrick and uh, and Jason and say, okay, in the next you know three to five weeks. Uh, you know, where are you going to be, where we can, you know, take this thing and, and see what we can do. I mean, are you looking to do it this year, Brian? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're look, yeah, I'm looking to do it in the next, I'd say, three to eight weeks. Really? So by July, by August, that we would see a six-second Wolfie? Hopefully. It's successful. Wow. Well, yeah. How can you not be successful? Look, I mean, because you... <laughs> I would assume that you've already ran this thing through a thousand times in your brain. Yeah, but you know, as, as they say, you know, you're you're always successful when you're on the jack stands. <laughs> okay, you know, in, in the few minutes that we have left, we better talk about the people that are helping you out. I mean, you just mentioned a couple. I mean, is there anybody else here that we should shine a little light on? Yeah, um, well, you know, we're really uh, you know, pleased with, uh, you know, Brian Tooley Racing has, um, you know, really, you know, is jumping in kind of both feet with Godzilla. So, uh, you know, they have one product out now, which is a really cool intake manifold that, you know, really makes this thing super package friendly and, you know, box bodies like on my car stock hood and, you know, the intake fits under it. Uh, and they're going to be coming out with a lot more products over the next, you know, 6 to 12 months. So that's real exciting. Um, again, as I mentioned, PTP and uh, uh, Team Z Motorsports have been you know, huge help. Um, Hall Tech and Pro Charger, you know, they're you know uh, companies I've worked with for quite a while, and you know appreciate the products they're doing. 
And then, you know, for like the turnkey stuff, a lot of the cars we do, you know, I'm talking all race stuff very well. A lot of the motors that I do or I help that I give are people that are just kind of putting it in a street car and they just want a control ECU that they can just plug it in, hook up a couple wires, hit the key, and everything works. They can use the stock coils, stock throttle body, and all that. Yeah. And that's a company called OBR. And, uh, you know, I run their stuff on my dyno. In, in fact, uh, probably 98% of the engines across my dyno, that's, that's why I run them in on. And, um, you know, it's a very, very versatile system. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of people, you know, that are, um, you know, contributing. And, uh, you know, we work with a company called Indy Power Products, which does some really cool high-end packaging stuff to fit these things in AC Cobras. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, they're just, like you said, there's a, just an enormous amount of uh, uh, activity for an engine that's been in you know, production for two and a half years and only in trucks. So, pretty good. Yeah, and Ford has no idea if they're going to actually put one in the Mustang ever, ever? I, I guarantee that won't happen. <laughs> not, not in a production car. I mean, because there's no point because the Coyote's so good. You know, the Coyote is so, so good. You know, it's already been in the car. It's been crash tested. It's been emission certified. Um, you know, there's no reason, you know, to put an engine in there that weighs, you know, 150 pounds more. And uh, while very cool, um, you know, it's it just, I, I don't think, um, you know, unlike Dodge with the, with the Hemi that's been in that platform forever, it would be like if Dodge came out with a, oh, a motor that's only going in trucks and doesn't really make any horsepower but weighs more. But people say, oh, man, that would be so cool because it would remind me of the 440. So, you know, it's a wedge, it's a max wedge, whatever, and they should put it in. It's like, no, you know, that, that Tammy's pretty good. We're just going to leave it in there because to put this different platform in is going to cost, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to get certified crash tests and the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I don't think you'll ever see the uh, the Godzilla and the, uh, the Mustang, especially with everything, you know, going on EPA-wise and, yeah, you know, but, focus on EVs and stuff. But if you made it, put it in the Wolf One. <laughs> I mean, basically, wasn't that no. the 460 that like the big heavy truck motor that was supposed to be the big deal and just kind of I don't know how it worked out for drag racing for Ford. Well, yeah, no, I I don't you know because you got to remember the 429 came on Mustangs in '71. Um, yeah. And it was in Thunderbirds and Lincolns before that. Yeah. And uh, the funny story on that was Hank the Deuce, Henry Ford II, wanted that in the Mustang. And, you know, they come into his office and, you know, put the you know, engineers put the blueprints out and said, Mr. Ford, you know, we have a problem. You know, it just it won't fit, you know. You know, they tell you what, because you guys, you boys go work on this a bit more and come back and see me in a week. So they come back in and say, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Ford, it doesn't doesn't fit. He has a cigar in his mouth, he pulls it out and he goes, wrong frickin' answer. <laughs> and you're gonna and uh, we'll see you in a week. Come back in a week. Yes, Mr. Ford, here's how we made it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works out when the big guy tells you that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, the guy, yeah, the guy who put his name on the building. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, he kind of knows the owner. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. I just want to tell everybody, all of our affiliates on the CKWI Radio 76 line, that we tipped the scales a little bit long with Mr. Wolf, but God bless it. It's worth it for us. So we'll make it up on the uh, Detroit Sports Authority side a little later on tonight. So worry not. All right, so Brandy Boy, uh, let us know how can people get a hold of you? How can people find you? Let's give them their, you know, their spotlight for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Facebook page is Brian Wolf. Uh, email address is Wolf with an E. W O L F E. Yeah. At Willis Engines with an S dot com, and uh, yeah, those are probably the best two ways to get a hold of me. Right. I mean, don't walk in and surprise them. Even though you might be, are you going to be running the dyno more often than not now, or is that just going to be a nice piece that you have, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, well, once we get the backlog out, uh, there'll be, you know, it'll be, you know, the goal is to, you know, basically, uh, you know, dyno and development and, you know, just one or two customer engines a year, you know, and then the rest of it develop you know, parts development with, uh, with uh, supplier partners. Really? I mean, people aren't like pals, aren't like going, psst, psst, Brian, you're not doing nothing Saturday night, right? You know, can I bring mine by? Yeah, but the answer is no. Are <laughs> 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 you going to tell them as soon as you get done with the Wolf 1, then they can bring their motor in? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or I can give them a couple other you know friendly engine builders that can you know handle their needs. <laughs> it's just like like your friend just got a pool. Hey, Brian. Okay, great, Brian. Thanks an awful lot. You know, I mean, really, this is your ninth time being with us, and it it just goes by so damn quickly with with you being here. We truly do appreciate you being with us. Uh, and I appreciate you uh, ask, continue to ask me. It's it's always fun trying to be relevant. And uh, you really appreciate all the questions and homework you did, um, you know, to get us, uh, you know, to have a great conversation. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Brian. I'll be calling you in a few minutes. Off okay. All good. right. See you, sir. Bye now. Yeah. Bye. Brian Wolf, everybody. I mean, interesting guy, isn't he? I mean, he is absolutely, positively, what you heard here on the radio is Brian Wolf. You know, I mean, we've known Brian for a while in the age-old story. He stood up in my wedding, blah, blah, you know. And thank God, thank him, because really without him, we, we wouldn't get a, a Ford rented, a Ford van. And that's a story all amongst itself. But as one of the most genuine folks you'll meet, and, and what kind of throws you off a little bit with Brian, is that it's like, depending on how you are in Ford land, and probably in drag racing altogether, is that Brian Wolf is one of those guys that you kind of go, do you know who you are? <laughs> and you probably look around and, yeah. You know, but I mean, of all the things that that guy did for drag racing, and he really, the red Mustang is so iconic. Very few people have a car that is directly related to him. You know, and that whole thing of 5-0, Brian Wolf, yeah, again, you think about Norman and you think about the other guys, they kind of ran in it. But, I mean, there was, there's been a lot of drag racers, I mean, all the way down from Coletta, you know, Sneaky Pete Robinson, uh, Prudhomme in the beginning, and the surfers, you know, but everybody always knows Big Daddy. 
and that's kind of the spotlight that you see a whole big bunch. And Brian Wolf is exactly when drag racing needed him the most. I mean, the lad stepped up, and you know, as as you know, folks from Chrysler and folks from Chevrolet were flat out envious, frankly. Because they didn't have anything. I mean, here you had 5.0 and 5.0 and Fox Bodies to this day. Shut your eyes. You see a 5.0 Fox Body, you know, it's still racing. You know, how many GLHs do you see <laughs> still racing? How many Z24s do you still see racing? You know, whether that be a decent comparison or not. But, I mean, it, it's just like... There wasn't anything fun to do for a brand new car to go racing. And Brian Wolf, as modest as he is, actually did a whole big bunch from his office and powertrain. And for a guy to pick up the phone and talk to, I mean, that's almost like, uh, not almost like that. It's, it's Tom Tiganelli kind of style. When, you, when he picks up the phone and you talk to Tom Tiganelli if you're a Chrysler guy, wow. Okay. All right, enough said. We got to get the guy back on. 